Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. The list of things that we choose what to do and what not to do and it makes us better or worse in the eyes of our community or it makes us think that we can earn some way of earning credit with God and then we make up these rules to say hey you look like this you do that you eat this you touch this and so therefore you're not a Christian or you're Christian or I'm more of a Christian than you're a Christian that's why we read Romans 14 also, if you're just doing it just to be the ritual, that's why we read Amos. At that point, God says, hey, I've had enough of your rituals. I've had enough of your sacrifice. I've had enough of your offerings. And you're thinking, well, this morning, I'm not much like that. We live in America. Things haven't changed very much. But I found this interesting tidbit this week. Welch's grape juice. By the way, this is from our own fridge. Welch's grape juice. Get this. The history of Welch's grape juice. Dr. Charles E. Welch Sr. was a founder of Welch's Grape Juice Company. His father was a prohibitionist. No manufacturing, no storage, no sale, no consumption of alcohol whatsoever. It was all the rage from 1920 to 1933. So he developed a grape juice that was promised never to ferment or have any alcoholic content. The older Welch intended for the product, which he called Dr. Welch's unfermented wine, to be used as a substitute for wine in church communion services. He had very limited success. There's no way the, the church at the time would say, you mean to switch, you're going to switch from wine to grape juice, you're all crazy. It didn't sell one bit. So his son decided to sell the grape juice on the open market just as a soft drink. By the way, it was a huge success. Just like his father, he was a prohibitionist. This guy ran on a prohibition ticket for the lieutenant governor of New York and then for the governor of New York in 1916. It's funny how times change. We use this for communion service. Oh, don't touch, don't taste. There's no way. If we'd have had wine for communion service, it would have made the papers. A hundred years ago, it would have made the papers if somebody had actually used grape juice. So we have to watch out. What is the essential ingredients to our faith in Jesus? Jesus is premier in everything. And as a family, we have to walk with Jesus. As a family, corporately. Because these cruel rules don't come up just individually. Sometimes they, come, they spread like plagues. And we have to watch out for this type of religious captivity. Paul and Timothy write to the Colossians and say, Hey, this is really important. I want to, watch. I want to warn you. But first he starts with some encouragement. If you would, open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 2. Remember, as a family walking with Jesus, we've got to watch out for religious captivity. So we start in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full, knowledge, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. So we've got to see our firm stance. We've got to take a firm stance on our faith. Paul is struggling to figure out how is he going to encourage these people he hasn't seen face to face. I want you to be strong in your faith, and I want to encourage you to do that. And he doesn't want to just send them platitudes. He says, I need you all to be knit together, unified, harmony, in what? Political preference? We sing about it. That's why we read 1 John, 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. What is love? We want you knit in love. Seeing a need and meeting that need without expecting anything in return. And he wants them to have a full wealth of the complete assurance, complete confidence, and the ability to understand the mystery. What is the mystery that he's talking about? Do you this morning have confidence, assurance, and completely understand the mystery of God? Because this word mystery is used over and over. What is the mystery that the creator of the universe, Jesus, who spoke the world into creation, wants to have a relationship with you? And the more than that, he wants you to walk with him in this life, and then for the promise of the future. Do you have confidence in that? Jesus is who he says he is. Do you have full assurance that you know that he has had you in his hand regardless of your circumstances or situations and want and in plenty? Do you have a firm understanding of who Jesus is in this mystery of saying, this is my creator who chose to have a relationship with me? And the mystery is this. God who spoke the world into existence in Colossians 1 is none other than Jesus himself. That's a lot to comprehend and understand, isn't it? But that's where you start with. He wants you to be encouraged and be knit together in love and understand the mystery that's in that. That's in Jesus. And this all has an outcome. And it has a purpose. To stand firm. There's going to be a lot of craziness out there in the world. There's a lot of craziness going on in Colossae. I'm going to address some craziness this morning. And if I step on some toes, I have to. But to take a firm stance. Do not be deceived by half-truths and whole lies. Whole lies. There's a cool outcome to this. Rejoicing, celebration, and joy. The community of believers living together in good order. The firm in the faith. How many do you know that have a good doctrinal stance, but they all can't get along? We know what we believe here, but we don't like one another. That's half of the outcome is knowing what it means to know your faith. Faith in action says, hey, there's a good order there. They get along with one another. It's in its proper place. Sometimes we forget that. We can get some knowledge. We can go to our Bible study and know more about God, but you want me to actually interact with people in my world? No. Or you want me to go and hang out with a group of believers often and say, I get along with those. 
We live in an individualist society that says, I got me some Jesus, I know I'm going to heaven someday, and I don't have to be around other people. Paul says, no. The outcome of being knit together, understanding the ministry, mystery of Jesus, and having that firm stance is, by the way, you love one another in community, in good order, and firm in the faith. See how he's reaching out to this group of people and trying to encourage them with this. Be strong. Stand firm with others. That's why I talked about the Under Armour being knit together. Even though it's not knitted, that really crashed. You know, how are we knit together as a body? Is there a lot of gaps that the cold winds of the day blow through? Or is it we knit together in love so it's tight? Where are you in relationship to the other people in the body and saying, I want to interact with them? I'm not doing this by myself. I want to be part of a local church, part of a body, part of a family that I can interact with so I know what it is to love Jesus. I understand the mystery. We'll work together in good order and stand firm in the faith. This is Paul's launching pad for the rest of today. This is, you've got to have a grasp on this. This is the firm foundation in which we're going to go because the rest of today, he's going to talk about things where it's not in good order, where they're not firm in their faith, where people are saying goofy things and coming up with rules. So understand unity, firm stance in Jesus, the firm stance in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Firmly rooted. You got to get planted. You know the ministry, the mystery of Jesus, the God who died for you, rose again and has promised to return. Are you firmly rooted in that? Taking your nourishment from that. Growing up into who Jesus is. It's been such a joy to know and watch and see people grow into knowing who Jesus is. It just isn't that porcelain Jesus wrapped up in tissue paper now back in an attic. It's also in Colossians 1, the creator of the universe. Firmly rooted, growing in Jesus. Unconditionally settled and established in the faith by implementing what you're taught. You're firmly rooted, you're growing up into Jesus, and you're unconditionally settled. This is the tree that grows, and it's there when the wind blows. The twig is growing, and now it's unconditionally settled. That's why Paul tells in Ephesians, are you being tossed to and fro by every wind? Implementing what you taught, just not the head knowledge. Taught through personal time with God and His Word. Taught through personal interaction with other Jesus followers. And taught through following Jesus where He leads you. And when you're walking with Jesus, you're firmly rooted, you're growing up, you're unconditionally settled, and you're overflowing with abundant crop. Look at the text. What's the crop? Thanksgiving. Thankfulness. 
So you're more mature in Jesus, the more thankful you are. Because you're firmly settled, you're firmly rooted, you've grown in Jesus, and now you're unconditionally settled what's going on in your world. You're not being blown around. So thereafter that, you can have a crop of thankfulness. You can tell a lot about people and how they react to the world if there's not much thankfulness on their lips. Woe is me. Terrible week. And there are times when the weeks are horrible. We studied that this morning in Psalms. And God's okay with that. But somebody who perpetually never has a thankful voice and says they're mature in Christ, I'm like, seriously? Come on. Well, I know a lot. Well, you haven't implemented it. You're the opposite of unconditionally settled. You're a tumbleweed instead of an oak tree. The abundant crop of thanksgiving. So we've seen our unified goal. We've seen our walking then after receiving Jesus. Because see, right there, so walk with Him. Now that you know this ministry, mystery, walk then with Him. Now we're going to do the watch out. Watch out. Pick up with me in verse 8. See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Captivity. He's going to talk from here on out about being taken off into captivity. What is the plunder to which he's talking? Is it your home? What's the plunder? Watch out that you may be taken into captivity. The prized possession of Jesus is you. Paul said, be careful. Watch out. You will be taken into captivity by what he's going to talk about. The plunder is spoken of here as war terms. Taking over a country, chaining up everybody, and dragging them back off as slaves back to your country. That's the language he's using. Watch out this morning that you are not taken captive by philosophy. Now, when I was taking philosophy in college, I had so many of my friends pull this verse out. Nothing like yanking things out of context. So what's he talking about here? Any system of belief that counters what the Word teaches and what Jesus taught, it's a battle of the mind. This captivity is personal, and this, he says, be wary of any philosophy that's going to come to you and it's going to say, that's not really what the Bible says. So on the one hand, learn about it so you know what it is your captors are going to come with. On the other hand, know your words so you know what contradicts it or to know what is true. In the era of what is the definition of marriage, I spent a whole lot of time saying, this is what I believe to be true. Instead of saying, I'm against this. If I know what I'm for, I want to be known for what I'm for. So when it comes to the philosophy of what does it mean to be a marriage union, I know what I'm for. It's one part of where we go into this in philosophy. It's a battle of the mind. They'll take you captive by this. By a system of belief that comes in and says, here's some rules and regulations, here's some new ideology of going by that's not found in God's Word. Here's something that's really popular today. Jesus just wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you follow Jesus, you'll be rich someday. You can laugh. 
But I know a great big church down in Texas that sells a whole bunch of stuff, I won't mention his name, of Joel Olstein, that have made millions of dollars on this idea. Follow Jesus and I'll be happy. He'll show a little bit of the truth of what God said, but he will lead people astray week after week in multiples of thousands by selling an ideology that says it's not... He's partially true, but there's a captivity there that says, hey, if I follow this Jesus, I'll be happy. Health and wealth is spreading, especially in impoverished nations. What I'm saying is that people are teaching, following Jesus, he'll take care and make your life blessing materially. Here's another one. God will never give me more than I can handle. Let's see. That is a lie too. But you hear it all the time. I like to list that as one of the favorite verses that aren't actually in the Bible. Well, God will never give me more than I can handle. Then no. He will constantly give you more than you can handle. If if you could handle everything, then why would you need God? God's story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation is people getting to a point where there's no way that anybody can take credit, but God gets it all. Good things come to those who are faithful. Just hold on. It'll get better. Just keep toughing it out. Have the mental positive attitude, Oprah says. It'll get good. Philosophy. The way of thinking that counters what the Bible teaches. Here's one that we, I hear. We talked about this this morning, too. All personal suffering is related to personal sin. Somebody is really having a tough time and things are rough. The first thing we do is we run up and say, so where did you sin? That may be true in some circumstances, James teaches us, but we also have the entire book of Job that says that's not true. Here's the one that really bugs me. It's come up late. I walk into any Christian bookstore, and these are big books. These guys are on the radio. They're on podcasts that are teaching that Jesus was not always God. That Jesus was God until he was crucified, and then when he died, he wasn't anymore. And that Jesus is now not God, is more God the Father now. It's, I don't want to go into the whole details, but Jesus, we're going to find out, is God right now, and he dwells right now in the fullness of deity. That is under assault. Those guys and that lady are selling books and selling out an auditorium by teaching that Jesus was only God for a certain point in given time. You will always hear it here that Jesus has always been God. He always will be God. My list could go on and on, but I have to be done by four. So we've talked about being taken captive by philosophy. Now let's talk about traditions. Big sigh. Traditions. Here we go. Look at verse 8. Philosophy, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty empty deceit according to human tradition. This is where we make the how we do it more important than the why we do it. This is where we make the how we do it, how we do this, how we do that, and more important than we do the why. All i got to do is mention the worship wars that's been going on for 20 years. Where the way the music is arranged is more important than the lyrics in which it's sung. 
how you come in the door, when you come in the door, what time we start is more important than why we do it. People will get so entrenched in their tradition, this is how we do it, this is how we've always done it, they will not ask the why. And when somebody asks them, why do you do it that way, they're like, how dare you? This is where human tradition trumps the truth, the premier work of Jesus. Because he's going to get to the point, he's going to build up and say, this is where Jesus is premier, preeminent, the king. When you make the how more important than you do the why. How do you wash feet instead of why do you wash feet? How do you do communion? More important than you do, why do you do communion? What juice do you use, or as opposed to wine, do you do it? Or why do we do it? When you focus on the how, you leave tradition empty, devoid of significance, and true benefit. Focusing solely on the how robs a participant of the original truths of why. That's why we read Amos. God was really specific on how you did what you did when you went into the tabernacle. Amos chapter 5 blows our minds. There's an entire book called Leviticus. Here's how you operate the Levites inside the tabernacle. Very serious, and here's how you do it. Was God, impor- God considered the how important? Absolutely. But the why, they had lost all... They got so into the routine of what they're doing, they lost the why. And God comes out in Amos 5 and says, I hate it! No more! No more! Stop your singing! Stop your sacrifice! This is God himself! Yell at the people in his tabernacle. Why would he do that? They lost sight of the why. She said, no. So what's he do? When the prophets are all done with what they're doing, where are the people at? Captivity. What do they not have? The tabernacle. They do not have the temple. I'm done with this. God takes this very serious. The elemental spirits of the world. This is spirituality based on the world and not on Christ. Anybody know what that is up there? Some kind of pendulum. You know, I've seen it. Man, people are into the spiritual stuff. It's really big, but it's not of God. And they're elementary, they're basic, is what Paul says. So watch out for this. Watch out for the philosophy that's going to take you captive. Watch out for the man-made traditions that are going to take you captive. Watch out for the spirituality that sounds really good that's going to take you captive. All that in one verse. So we've got to watch out with what? Jesus glasses. Now Paul's going to transition for the rest of our time this morning. What is important about Jesus and him being premier? And by the way, he's going to tackle some traditions. And he's going to tackle... These with powerful words. And it might make us uncomfortable this morning. So pick up with me in verse 9. He's going to talk about Jesus now. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Watching out with our Jesus glasses. Jesus currently, right now, rules everything. The fullness of deity lives in him right now. What's hard to see in your English right there is that's a present tense verb. Right now. So as you comprehend, you understand, you have full assurance in this mystery. 
to be able to withstand and stand firm so you are not taken captive. Watch out with the idea, my Jesus reigns, my Jesus lives, and he is really God right now. Jesus rules over everything, politics, nations, demons, nations, and even your situation. And Paul's going to mine this idea of Jesus being premier. And he's going to take on three illustrations of Jesus being preeminent. Let's look at circumcision, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Whew. If there's a big idea, the tradition, that's big for a Jew, that's big for anybody today, it's circumcision. The original idea. Here is God saying to Abraham, what you're going to do to associate with me in my covenant relationship with my people. Jesus comes along. No. The new body. Now, circumcision. Jesus says, I want to circumcise. I want to cut the entire body off. And I'm going to make you into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You talk about tackling a hot button of his time. Paul is writing this letter and he said, Oh, you think circumcision is big? Here's really what it is. Jesus is more important than circumcision. That had been, that's been around for a long, long, long time. And Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to defibrillate the dead person, bring him back to spiritual health, and you are a new creation in me. Next one, baptism. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Stop there. Baptism. The original idea of this is nowhere in your Old Testament, in your Hebrew Scriptures. You ever ask yourself, where in the world did they get the idea for baptism? Why was John baptizing? The old original idea is this, is they went into these baths and they were trying to immerse for ceremonial cleaning at the temple. There was already in place. From the time of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew, in that little section of your Bible there, is called the intertestamental time. Without getting into a whole big idea, but let me just give you this. It was something that was created, it was a tradition of baptism, of immersion, of ceremonial cleansing that went from an original idea of ceremonial cleansing to a new idea that we even use today, that once you were buried, and now you're raised. Once you were dead, now you're alive. Through Christ. So he's taking this idea of baptism and saying, here's a tradition. Y'all have been doing it for a long time. Here's the original idea, ceremonial cleansing. Here's the new idea, picture of death to life, spiritual death to spiritual life. Once buried, now raised. Verses 14 through 15. What else has Jesus been premier in? He's been premier in circumcision. He's the big reason for baptism. Because if you take the ingredient of Jesus out of these, they become what? Nothing. So here's a cool one. Your certificate of indebtedness. Pick up with me in verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and brought them to open shame by triumphing over them. The original idea is pretty easy to get. This is a legal document of debt. Whether you have a school loan, you got a house loan, you got a car loan, does anybody have a legal document of debt currently with a big raise of hands? Oh, come on. I'm, well, Michael, I know you got <laughs> This is huge. This is a legal document that Paul's talking about. So he brings, you are in debt. What is the indebtedness? Your sin. So he's taking this picture. Everybody, whether you, if you, maybe you've never been Jew, so you don't know nothing about circumcision. Maybe you never were around during the time when their baptisms were cooled and they were re given this new idea. But a lot of people know this legal document of debt. You don't pay your house payment, somebody's calling you. There's a legal document out there that says, hey, you all, and somebody has the right to come and get it. So there's a legal document. By the way, there's a lot of ideas when they put Jesus' title over his head. That was his legal document because he claimed to be Lord. So, there's legal documents. So what kind of sins we got? Anybody? I know you guys got this participation time. Sin. Give me a sin. Stealing. I'm not going to be able to spell very well even though I was an English major. Huh? Lying? I know Frank. Frank's going to say cutting the corners on the trail. Murder. Okay, so this is a legal document. And they write this out. And they said, this is your debt. Instead of a house debt, instead of a car debt, you've got sin debt. So what did Jesus do with that? He destroyed it. Boom. Destroyed it. I like this word. He removed it. The word there means to wipe away. Those with sizable student loan debt or house debt would love to see somebody wipe your debt away. Amen to that. Amen to that. So he destroyed it, destroyed the document that was held against us. He removed it by wiping it away. And where did he nail this bad boy? On the cross. So the cross was the payment. How do we know the payment was received in full? You get a receipt in the mail. You pay off your car. I've done that once or twice now in my life. You get the title. Right? That's kind of a cool thing. The receipt for Jesus' death was the resurrection. When God said, that's payment in full, Jesus came from the grave, that's his receipt of payment. That's our receipt of payment. The cool thing about this is Jesus does this with the... Paul writes about this, and Jesus does this with the cross. We consider that, like we're probably wearing some today, but it'll be like wearing an electric chair. This was an object of shame. This was done all over the place. It was a way of humiliating those who had been taken captive. The human plunder was crucified on the way into the cities. 
There's an image that the most gruesome way of death then is used in a triumphant way. Only God can take that which is hideous and nasty and turn around and make it a beautiful thing. And the language there at the end says he triumphed over the authorities. Many will say this is the authority that holds the sin and death and said, I own that person. Who's our great accuser? Satan himself. Who's our great advocate? The lawyer has never lost a case if you believe in him. Standing at the right hand of God. So he triumphed over the rulers and authority because when Jesus died on the cross, Satan had been on a mission since Genesis 3.15 to kill the baby. And so he finally had done it. So the demon rejoicing choir songs must have been incredible when he died. But three days later, he rose from the dead, triumphant over them. And he put them to open shame. Watch out with Jesus' glasses. Are you assured full confidence in the mystery of what God has revealed to you in Jesus Christ? Because of this document that he's given to you. And he's wiped it clean. We have to watch out. So we've talked about philosophy. We've talked about man-made traditions. So now we're watching out. Verse 16. Therefore, since Jesus is his great victor, therefore do not let, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. He's yelling. Underline that. Do not let anyone pass judgment on you by what you eat or drink. I want to say something crazy and listen to me closely. What you eat or drink is not essential to your belief or identity in Jesus. People will pass judgment on you by what goes in your mouth. They will also pass judgment on you by how you do or do not observe religious holidays. The observance of ritualistic religious holidays is not essential to your belief or identity in Jesus. Jesus is premier. Works all the way through Colossians. You mean to tell me it's more important to know what about Jesus than what goes in my mouth? Jesus will always be more premier. People will pass judgment on you and say, oh, well, you ate that. And depending on what culture you happen to be in, they will make all these rules about what goes in your mouth. Welch's grape juice. Prohibition. Alcohol. There will be all these rules about what this looks like. What goes in your mouth does not change what you're essential to your belief or identity in Jesus. People will pass judgment on you. Watch out for this. This will take you captive. You'll follow these rules and you'll think you're doing it right and then all of a sudden you realize this has no effect. This doesn't help in the long run. Now let me say this. The Bible has a lot to say about eating, drinking, and how you do it with others. And in love. That's why we read 1 John in Romans 14. If you don't, you don't drink alcohol and you see somebody else drinking alcohol, it isn't your job to say, just because they drink alcohol, they're not a Christian. Then, if you, then the inverse is true. Well, I have the liberty to drink and they don't think they do, so I'm going to judge them. 
It doesn't work that way. The primary thing is Jesus. I can get pretty excited about that. I'll keep on going. Verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Do not let people condemn you. Well, there we go. Do not let people condemn you. He's yelling here again. People are going to judge you and people are going to condemn you. I love the word here. Look at this. Um, it says uh, asceticism. How many people in their scriptures there says asceticism? Quite a few. <laughs> the word is humility. And I worked hard this week to look, look this up and understand what Paul's getting at. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Okay, best picture I can come to mind. Those who view their relationship with Jesus more effective because they do or don't do. It's false humility. Well, I love Jesus. I don't drive my car on Saturday. I can make up all kinds of other things. They build this up. They pass judgment on others because, because of what they do or what they don't do. false humility uh, my spirituality my righteousness is increased because of what I do or don't do where does we see saying that song where does all of our righteousness come from Jesus does that give us the ability to do whatever we want whenever we want absolutely not but when you start working around people who are taken captive by the idea if you do this do this do this don't do this don't do this don't do this and you're more righteous and we go around looking at people like check Chat, chat. Drives me nuts. Now, is there fruit? Have we talked about a fruitful relationship with Jesus thus far? What's the great fruit that Paul's trying to encourage them to have? Thankfulness. There's those who worship angels. Things that are of God, but not God. Jesus is premier. Every time in the Bible when you, somebody meets an angel, they do fall down. They're not these cuddly, cute little winged things. Because that would be like, hey, cool, there's an angel. But whatever they are, whatever they look like, every time in the Bible somebody meets one, they go Phew! face first. And they go, don't you worship me. You only worship God. So there must be something about them that makes people Phew! immediately, no questions. Look at today. You have people that will worship things about God, but not of Jesus. They will worship things that's cool about God, but not primarily centered in Jesus. There's spiritual ideas that go on and on and on. I like the way this reads. These are the people that rant and rattle and go on and on and on about spiritual ideas without any time in the Word. It's spiritual, but it's not based in the world. It's not based in the Bible. Oh my goodness. They'll talk about this spiritual thing, that spiritual thing. It's nowhere found in the Bible. But they just go on and 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 on. What's primary? Jesus is premier. You people will pass judgment. Well, you're not very spiritual. You're not talking about spiritual auras. 
whatever spiritual things you can talk to people come up with. Because Jesus is premier, and these people who pass judgment do not hold on to Jesus as premier as the head of the body. Paul's going to use another metaphor here. Jesus is the head of the body. He's the head of the local church. He gives gifts to each person so they can work together. Jesus leads us all. Jesus nourishes each of us so we can work together. Jesus nourishes the individual parts of the body so they can do what? Work together. He doesn't do ankle surgery so the ankle goes and runs off and leaves the wrist. Notice the community idea that comes all the way through with the primary interaction with Jesus being utmost important. Then how does that work itself out in the body? Watch out for those who come in and say, hey, here's some philosophy, here's some tradition, here's some do's and don'ts, hey, here's what you're eating, here's what you shouldn't eat, and then there's people that's going to come in and say, no, 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 you got to follow these rules, and then they're going to say, I don't follow, I'm like some Jesus that died on the cross, but he's not ruling over my life now. Because what Paul's saying is Jesus rules as the head of the body. He leads right now. Remember, Jesus lives right now in the present tense. He nourishes each of us so that you can work together, and he's the one that holds it all together. And finally, he concludes in verses 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not teach, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Why do you submit to these rules? You probably, you'd see it just get more and more, more frustrated. Why do you submit to it? It's all trash. If you're worried about what gets in your cup, whether it's grape juice or wine, what happens after you use it? It goes out. Down the brain. Don't touch that. The that, whatever it is, will eventually wear out. Don't taste that. That stuff all bad for them. You can't be a Christian if you eat that. What happens after it's used? Nothing. It's zero. What is of eternal value? Jesus himself. There's a play on words that's hidden in here. These are all a shadow of things to come. The cool thing is, we will be eating, drinking, and making men. We will have a celebration with Jesus. Yes, celebrate. Do so well. Do so in order. But it's all a shadow. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like until we get to heaven. And Jesus, we have that supper of the Lamb. Not supper of Lamb, but the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everything that we handle, touch, taste, will perish with use. It wears out or goes away. The commandments and teaching of men are the same. They wear out. 
Remember when we started? At one time, you only used wine at communion. And they couldn't sell this stuff to churches whatsoever. I'm pretty sure there was a really good reason why they did, thought that. And now, you go to any church for a lot, and you say, hey, we're having uh, wine for communion instead of Welch's grape juice. The elders or the deacons or the pastor will get about 500 calls and 500 emails on Monday within 100 years. The how becomes more important than the why. He says, man-made religion has the appearance of wisdom. What is it? it puts on the clothes of wisdom. It looks good. We can come up with some good arguments for it. But it's man-made. This is why legalism is so powerful. Legalism is that if I do or don't, my righteous standing with Jesus is increased or decreased. What started with Jesus on the cross, I'll add a little bit too because I don't do that. Oop, I slipped up, so I need to do some more and more of this. Then the sweet little old lady comes in and says, well, you know, when I was young, we never listened to that kind of music. Oh, so we don't listen to that music. That has nothing to do with lyrics. It has all to do with arrangement. The how becomes more important than the what. It's easy to follow rules. But when I say, hey, follow Jesus to the best of your ability... Make him primary in all things, and I'm going to cheerlead you on, regardless of what you choose to eat or drink. <sighs> Romans 14, do not pass judgment. Paul uses the same words. You get that? Do not condemn. If one person considers one day more holy or better than another, then go for it, buddy. I'm leading you on. Because these, this legalism ultimately has zero effect when it comes to the indulgence of the flesh. If you really, really want it, no matter how many rules you come around outside of you, it won't cure the flesh. What cures the flesh? You know somebody's got a problem with eating too many potato chips. They'll buy three cases of potato chips and down it and weigh 900 pounds in two months. Well, just don't go to the store. Well, they'll order it offline. We deal with behavior modification instead of the heart. Talk about the why. What's going on inside. That's hard business. That's where you roll up your sleeves. You're in the community of faith. And you step up next to somebody and say, I want to walk alongside you with this. It's been tough. There's a lot that Paul says. So as we walk together, because remember, Paul says, if you're going to receive this Jesus, then walk with him, standing firm in your faith. He mixes metaphors with Paul's really good at. So you're standing firm, you're growing in Jesus, and you do it with the family. You do it with the local church. You don't do it alone. And we've got to watch out because there's people that want to take you captive. There are things that are going to happen. People earnestly are going to say the dumbest stuff. Well, because you do that, you can't be a Christian. But don't be taken captive by that. Walk with others, study God's Word, grow in Him. And what is the most important thing to remember about what Paul's talking about clear through the book of Colossians? Jesus is premier. So if you're talking about whatever it is, ask about their God story.
How does that relate to where your relationship with this is Jesus? And as a family, let's do this. Let's keep our eyes out so we don't get taken captive. And keep walking. Keep chasing after him. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.